we're exploring the seven I am statements that Jesus makes that are found in John's gospel. And these statements are loaded with divinity. And there's two of the statements found in John chapter 10. We're going to, going to explore the first one uh, together today. But right at the end of John chapter 10, you see the kind of trouble that these statements cause. They stir up conflict. They force people to decide what they think about Jesus. And I hope that that's what it does for you and me today as we explore the statement together. So the first one that we uncover in John's gospel in chapter 10 is when Jesus says, I am the gate. And that's going to be a really important statement. Now, keeping sheep here and today is very different from the way people kept sheep in the time of Jesus in the Judean wilderness. And so we have to explore that just a little bit in order to unlock the power of the statement that we find in John chapter 10. When we look at the Judean wilderness, one of the things we realize is that shepherds at the time of Jesus needed a safe place to put their sheep at night. They're out wandering the wilderness during the day. It's not like a nice pasture with fences, but at nighttime there's predators, there's thieves, there's robbers, and so the good shepherd would need to find a safe place for the sheep. And so they had these sheep pens, these kind of folds, sheep folds. Sometimes they were made of a, a collection of rocks stacked up to form a bit of a wall, or sometimes even just, just brush that was put together in a ring. And uh, sometimes even they would use a cave or an overhang that they could turn into a cave by blocking off part of the entrance. But always they would leave a narrow entrance. And with that narrow entrance, there wouldn't be a swinging gate, like a, a wood gate or a metal gate. Instead, and this is the point, instead, the shepherd himself would become the gate. And so at nighttime, the shepherd would sit in the gate or lay in the gate or even sleep in the gate in order to protect the sheep. And I really think that that's the background that Jesus has in mind. That's the context when he declares, I am the gate. So keep that in mind as we go forward. Well, what's the point? What's the point that Jesus was trying to make by that statement and referring to that image or that practice? First of all, he was making a claim of exclusivity. Jesus was saying, I am the gate. All that have come before me were robbers and thieves. I am the true gate, the one gate, even the only gate. Now, who are the all that came before? Jesus isn't referring here to the prophets of the Old Testament. He's praised the prophets in the past. So those aren't the robbers and the thieves that he's talking about. First of all, Jesus is talking about the current leaders, the Pharisees. He's calling them thieves and robbers because they were meant to be the shepherds of Israel during the time of Jesus, but they blew it. They had actually behaved like thieves and robbers, not caring for the sheep but simply using the sheep, the people of Israel, for their own means and their own ends. Jesus, in doing this, he kind of evokes Ezekiel chapter 34, and you can look that up after, where Yahweh warns the shepherds of Israel who were behaving badly and misusing God's people. Jesus does the same thing here by calling the Pharisees thieves and robbers. But Jesus also sets himself apart from others who claim to be the Messiah. Sometimes I think we forget this, that before Jesus and even at the time of Jesus, there were others that rose up 
claiming to be the Messiah, claiming to be the one anointed by God to lead Israel out of bondage, out of oppression, into a new kind of freedom and a golden age. We know this because of historical records, but we also know this because we find reference to it in Acts chapter 5. In Acts 5, we read about a man named Thutis, who it says appeared claiming to be somebody and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed and all his followers were dispersed and the movement came to nothing. And then it talks about a man by the name of Judas, the Galilean who appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and all his followers were scattered. So there were these other Messiah figures that were raising up people attempting to lead revolt, attempting to lead people into a new golden age and out of oppression, but they failed miserably. Jesus comes up and says, I am the gate. I'm not like those. I'm different. I'm exclusive and unique. And one of the unique factors is that as Jesus raised up a following, he too was killed. But what happened? Something completely different. Whereas all the followers of the other so-called messiahs dispersed and scattered and the movement stopped, the movement of Jesus continued and rocked the world. Why? One fundamental difference. Jesus didn't stay dead. <laughs> Jesus rose from the grave. And so that is the thing that sets Jesus apart from all the others. And so he has a right to make this exclusive claim because he's completely unique from all the others that came before. And he's completely unique from the Pharisees as well. So Jesus sets himself apart by declaring that he is the gate, that all others are thieves and robbers. He sets himself apart from the Pharisees and from the false messiahs by declaring this, this claim of exclusivity. He says, I am the only one who truly provides access to the flock of God. I'm the only one that can provide access to true life in God. I am the only gateway to experience life to the full, which is a very important concept in John's gospel and in this passage. Now, I think that people back then in the time of Jesus struggled with this claim, and I know that people today struggled with, struggle today with that claim of exclusivity. But should we really be surprised or offended by claims of exclusivity? I mean, we find it all the time. And in fact, there's always an inherent exclusivity in any truth claim. If you're into politics, and I know that some of you are because I've seen your Facebook page, but if you're into politics and you believe that one candidate is the best candidate to vote for, then by nature of declaring that this is the true candidate, then all other candidates are excluded, aren't they? Or when I took my vows and I married my wife, Christine, uh, more than 26 years ago, when I stood at the altar, I said, you are my one true love. You are the only one for me. And forsaking all others, I choose you. I take you to be my wife. Uh, her vows went a little differently. She only said those three precious words, I own you. No, that's something better than that, I'm sure. But that's the idea, is, is when we marry together, there is a claim of exclusivity. And so 
It's relevant and part of our everyday life, so why are we so surprised and offended when Jesus comes forward and says, I alone am the true gate. I am the only true way to find abundant life that is found in God the Father. You see, the Pharisees, they said that the gate to life are the rules of the law. The other messiahs, they were saying that the gate to life is the way of violence. William Barclay says this, There have been and still are those that believe that the golden age must be brought in with violence, class warfare, bitterness, and destruction. It is the message of Jesus that the only way that leads to God in heaven and to the golden age on earth is the way of love. That's the exclusive kind of way that Jesus is talking about. So today, the gate to experience a full life, to experience life abundantly, is sometimes thought of in different ways. Maybe it's not through rules or through violence, but often we seek the way to the abundant life through wealth, through the gate of pleasure, and maybe even through the gate of power. Now, there's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with experiences. There's nothing wrong with authority. Those things are all good in their way. But when we see them as the gateway to the good life, that wealth is the gateway, or pleasure is the gateway, or that power is the gateway to the abundant life, then we miss the point. We're going to be disappointed. And it's into that context today that I think Jesus still says, I alone am the gateway to life in abundance. This is the exclusive claim of Jesus. So that's what we find here, first of all, in this passage. But also we find the promise of security. In order to really get this, we have to go back to the previous chapter. And really, John chapter 9 and John chapter 10, uh, they form one unit. And so read them together and you'll see how the miracle that Jesus performed, uh, one of the seven sign miracles that Jesus performed when he heals a man that was born blind, connects directly to the commentary that Jesus makes about it in John chapter 10. See, after the man was healed who was born blind, they have this big debate back and forth, back and forth, questioning him, questioning his family, questioning all kinds of things, until eventually the man is actually kicked out of the synagogue. I mean, can you imagine that for a moment? You've been begging all your life because you've been born blind. Suddenly you can see, and now you get kicked out of the synagogue? And so this has serious implications for this gentleman. Now that he's kicked out of the synagogue, he's vulnerable. He's exposed. He's actually now very isolated from community life. And so Jesus, having already restored the sight of the man, he seeks him out again. And at, this is after his expulsion from the synagogue. And he brings him in to the community of his own followers. He becomes the gate for that man to enter into the true sheepfold, to the true uh, flock of God. And now the days of this man's isolation are over. Now he knows that he's a valued member of the flock of Jesus. He's cared for, he's protected, because he has come through the true gate, which is Jesus. 
This is the sense of security, the promise of security that we find in the image when Jesus says, I am the gate. You know, there's an interesting phrase in the passage as we read it. It says that they will come in and go out through this gate. So it's not like Jesus has the sheep come in and as the good shepherd lies in the gateway, becomes the, the gate of the pen, and then the sheep never go out again. But there's this idea of this coming and going along with the shepherd. And it's really a beautiful image that's worth exploring. Because this idea of the sheep coming in and going out is a symbol of the kind of safety that's needed that allows for complete freedom of movement. Now, we live still in this pandemic time, and we live with still a number of restrictions. And we realize that we're not always free to come and go as we please, that there are areas and there are situations that are still dangerous, that we still need to avoid. And so I think we understand the limitations of freedom that come from insecurity or that come from danger. And so we can understand this image, this image of being able to come and go is actually an image of incredible safety, of incredible security. That's the kind of safety and security that we find in Jesus. Now we have to be careful not to think that this is a physical security, so Jesus will always protect us physically in that sense. But it's a security of knowing that we are always in his presence that nothing that happens to us is a surprise to him and that he will strengthen us in the midst of every trial that we face. And therefore, because of that security that he loves us, that he knows us, that he has an eternal plan for us, then we can come and go with freedom. That's where freedom comes from. So Jesus' sheep have the freedom to live their lives in his presence. Both are going out and their coming in is through him. And in this way, Jesus actually fills the type of Joshua that is described by Moses in Numbers. Moses said to the Lord, May the Lord, the God of the spirits of all mankind, appoint a man over this community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in, so the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. And this is what Jesus fulfills. He fulfills that kind of prophecy. He is the man. He is the shepherd, the one that becomes the, the, the one to lead us out and bring us back in. And in that sense, he is the shepherd who is also the gate. And so there is a great freedom in Jesus, and I hope we never lose sight of that. We always have to be careful as, as a church and as leaders um, that we don't so impact people with rules and obligations and judgments that we rob people of the freedom that's found in Christ, knowing that we're loved, knowing that we're significant, knowing that he has an eternal plan for us, we have freedom. Well, in reality, sheep are rather unintelligent animals. And I'm also always a little bit offended when I read the Bible and I realize that God often refers to us as sheep because sheep are just kind of dumb. They're, they're vulnerable to their environment. They easily follow the crowd and they're terrible with directions, which kind of describes me actually, and it describes many of us. And so maybe it's an adequate representation of who we truly are. 
But ultimately, here's the point. Ultimately, Jesus laid down his life for the sheep, and in so doing, he becomes the gate of the sheepfold. He becomes that good shepherd that lays down in that opening in order to protect the sheep. And so if we want to come to God today, if we want to be part of that true community, if we want to experience life to the full, then we need to come through this one gate, which is Jesus. That's part of the message this morning. And if we want to experience that true eternal security that leads to freedom, then we must listen to and respond to the voice of that true shepherd who will lead us in and out within the presence of God. That's part of the message also this morning. So may God grant us the wisdom and the grace to recognize the voice of Jesus and to give him thanks that he is the one true gate. Amen.